Christians, the people of God are to be a thinking people. God, he, he calls us to ponder on the Scriptures, to consider the things of God, to be a people of the book, to be a people that know God intim- intimately. But this knowing of God, it's, it's not all based on feeling, but it's based and rooted in the infallible Scriptures. Jesus Christ, He he is known as the Word of God, the divine Logos, the, the Word of God made flesh, the revelation of God given to us. He is the image of God. He said of Himself that He was the, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that we must know, He is the one we must have, and He is the only way to the Father. And Jesus said of His people that those who were truly His... Those who have been born again, he said that when the spirit of truth comes, that he will guide his people into all truth. Jesus also prayed for his people in John chapter 17, verse 17, that that God would sanctify them, that the Father would sanctify them in truth, for his word is truth. This is God's desire for His people. They would be led into all truth through the Spirit of God and that they would be sanctified in the truth. John chapter 4, in Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, He said that that the Father was seeking, seeking people that would worship Him in spirit. Yes, from the heart. Yes, through the Spirit of God. Spirit, but, but He grounded it. He rooted it in truth. Spirit and truth. Many seek to know God apart from knowledge. Many seek a sign. Many are seeking an experience. As if they could empty their minds and experience God. We live in a time where emotions truly rule the day. Where if it it feels right, it has to be right. My kids will often tell me, they're like, Dad, I feel this. Or I feel like that. Dad, I feel like two plus two is four. And I'm always like, no. (laughs) You think these things. But often it's a product of our culture. We we speak this way. We feel this way. We we live in a time where we're in a feelings epidemic. It's a strange time we find ourselves in. A time where people who call themselves Christians are people who think that somehow faith is divorced from knowledge. That if you have too much knowledge about God, it's as if you cannot let your emotions or you, or you will have no feelings towards God. Some have gone so far to say that this is really the only way you can experience God is through feelings and emotions. That you can know God apart from the truth of God. As if you could know Him by experience alone. But this is not the case from Scripture. Christians should have many good emotions. And they should be directed towards God. But these 
Emotions always must be driven, must be regulated, must be, be driven by the truth of God's Word. Rooted and grounded right here in the Scriptures. Right here in the Word of God. Christians are not mystics. We're not driven by pure emotionalism. We are not those who are seeking for a sign. We are those who are known by God and who know God and love God, and we know Him because He's given us His perfect, infallible, revealed Word to us. Listen to the words of Christ this morning. In Mark chapter 8, the the Pharisees, they came to Jesus. They came to dispute with Him. It says there in, in verse 11 that they were seeking a sign from heaven, testing Him. But Jesus, he, he responded to them in verse 12 and He said, it says there, He sighed deeply in His spirit. He, he groaned. And he, and he goes there and He responds and says, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. You see a similar conversation in Matthew chapter 16 where the Sadducees and the Pharisees, a group that that hated each other but were willing to team up against Jesus, ironically, they come to him again testing him. And it says there again that they were seeking a sign from heaven. And Jesus said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. And Jesus then called them hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. Jesus continued in verse 4 there in chapter 16 saying, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So what was the message here? What was Jesus what was Jesus getting at with their seeking of the sign? See these Pharisees, these Sadducees, they wanted the easy way. They didn't want to search the scriptures. They didn't want to consider the words of Christ. They didn't they didn't want to ponder on these truths that he was speaking. They wanted God to show them. Show me, God, so that I may believe. They didn't want to search the Old Covenant Scriptures where they would clearly see that Jesus was the Christ. They didn't want to see that He was truly the Holy One of God and that the Holy One of God had come upon them. Jesus told them, you can discern the weather. But they refused to look at all the evidence around them. They refused to look at at all that Jesus has said and all that Jesus had done. They refused to to look at what was around them and discern the times. Discern that He was the Christ. Discern that the kingdom of God had come upon them. They refused to do the work, in other words. They refused to know God through His Word. What did they want? God, show me a sign. They wanted it beamed into their heads. They wanted faith just to poof into their hearts. But Christ, He was not having it. The Pharisees did not want to consider the truths of Scripture or the Word of God. They wanted a sign. They wanted the feels. They wanted the faith. They wanted all the emotion without the work. 
of searching the scriptures to see whether these things are true. But what does God call you to today? To know his word. That's what he calls you to. In Acts chapter 17, there were, there were believers there, the Bereans, in Thessalonica. It said, it said there that they were, they were more noble than most. Why? Because they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. They were those who sought the truth of God. They were those who, who looked to God's revelation and said, I want to know Him more. They were more noble than most. And this is what God calls you to today. To know Him through His Word. To seek Him through His Word. To dwell on such things. Psalm chapter 1 that Jeff read for us this morning. It speaks of the righteous. It speaks of the man of God. It says there that the, in Psalm chapter 1 verse 2 that the delight, that this is His delight. The delight of the transformed heart is the, the Word of God. And it says that He meditates on it day and night. This is God's desire for His people. That's His desire for us. To be a people of the truth. A people who dwell on the Word of God. Our emotions, our worship, all of our actions and all of our lives are to be informed regulated by the Scriptures, by the Word of God. Paul, he calls this church, the church in the book of Philippi, the book of Philippians, in verses 8 and 9, he calls them to dwell on the things of God, to dwell on the Word of God. Before we get in to verses 8 and 9, I want to recall where we are at in this book of Philippians. Paul, he has been calling this church to stability. Remember there in verse 1, what did he say? Stand firm in the Lord. He then gives them the how-to, the instructions on how do you stand firm in the Lord. The, first, the very first thing he tells them is that they must be a united body, agreeing in the Lord. That if they had differences of opinion, beefs with one another, that they were to put these things aside and that they were to agree in the Lord. That they were to keep the main thing, the main thing. Christ and Him crucified. Then He moves on to tell them to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say always rejoice in the Lord. A church that is stable, standing firm, is a church that rejoices in the Lord. He then called them to be gracious towards one another. The opposite of division and divisiveness and contentiousness. He told them to, to give the, the very grace of God to one another. To be charitable towards one another. To show one another the very same love that Christ had shown them. And then he moves on to say that a, a stable, a standing firm church in the Lord is anxious for nothing. Yes, they have worries. Yes, they have anxiety, but they are to be taking those things to the Lord in prayer. Remember, he said everything 
to the Lord in prayer. Everything you experience in life, all of your burdens in life, every care, every struggle, every worry, every anxiety, that you are to be offering these up to the Lord. Prayers and supplications, your needs given to God, you're casting these cares on the Lord. And it's not only just praying about your needs. He talked about in thanksgiving. And see, the, the message there is that in worry and anxiety is, is sinking sand. It's, it's, it's being tossed to and fro by the, the situations in life. But, it, but it, through prayer, through giving thanks in every situation of your life, through, through casting your cares on the Lord and then trusting in His nature and in his character, then the peace of God that surpasses understanding is the, the firm foundation of your life that, that God will supernaturally work in your heart to bring a peace in your life. And so these are the, this is the groundwork that we are seeing. This is the foundation for a stable church, a church that can stand firm in the day of trouble. Remember what they faced, persecution, suffering, Division, false teachers within their own midst. And yet, he is calling them to stability. And Paul, he starts out verse 9 with the word finally. Sorry, verse 8. With the word finally. Basically saying this is the final instructions that I have for you as a body of Christ to stand firm in the Lord. Finally. Finally, he will tell them to dwell on what is right. And then in verse 9, to put it into practice. As we look to verse 8 this morning, we need to look at the end of it before we look at the beginning of it. So look with me to the very end of that verse. It says there, Paul, he says that they are to meditate on these things. The word for meditate can be Translated as dwell, consider, think, ponder on these things. In other words, what Paul is calling the believers here too is to apply their minds to the list of things here listed in verse 8. And hear me this morning. This is so incredibly important in your life. Because all of our actions, they begin with our thoughts. Think of what he's been calling the church to. Can you agree in the Lord without it beginning in your mind? Can you rejoice in the Lord without it first beginning in your mind? Can you be gracious to one another without it first beginning in your mind? Can you find peace? Can you be anxious for nothing without first your thought life? Everything, every action, everything we do, everything we say, it begins with our thoughts. They begin in the mind of man. So, if we dwell on what is precious, the pearls of God's word, then we will in turn act in accordance. There is a saying, garbage in and garbage out. If we are not careful to fill our hearts and minds with the things of God, we will find that our actions will not change in this life. Instead, what will we have? Garbage. 
Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks, speaking of a person, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Jesus said that our, our thoughts were so important that they are the very things that lead to sin in our life. That we'll be coming under the judgment of God for what is going on on the inside. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say? Adultery, it begins in the heart. That if you've looked with lust, you've already committed adultery. When you've had anger towards your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus also said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That it is from the heart. That is what defiles us. That is what makes us sinful before God. We sin because by our nature we are evil on the inside. You know what the true test of a man is? You know what the true test of you is this morning? Your thoughts. That's who you really are. That's who God knows you to be. Your thought life is who you are before God. And so why do I say all this? Sanctification, it starts in the heart. It starts in our thoughts. Spurgeon said that when a man believes wrongly, he will soon act wrongly. It starts with the right inputs, and this will lead to the right outputs in our life. You need the right inputs in order to have the right outputs in life. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 11 said, Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not, I might not sin against you. Paul says to the believer that we are to think that we are to meditate, that we are to dwell, ponder the Word of God. Let's look at how he starts off that list. He starts it off with whatever is true. This word true, Jesus used it to describe the Father, saying God is true. In Romans 3, 4, Paul used it there to say that let God be true and every man a liar. This word here for true the opposite of it would be a lie. The opposite of it would be what is false. So Paul is telling the Christian, dwell on the truth. The truth of God's Word. I believe Paul, he starts here because everything else in this list, it flows from this. The truth. Christian, meditate on the truth of God's Word. What would be the opposite of this? If, if Paul was to put it in the negative, what would he say? He would say, reject the lies. Don't ponder, don't dwell on what is false. Pay the lies no heed. Do not take them to your innermost. Instead, dwell on the pearls of God's truth. Dwell on what is of value. Dwell on these 66 love letters from God to you. Dwell on these things. So let's align what we've been talking about with Psalm chapter 1. It's a similar message there. Remember, in verse 2, 
It's the, it's, it's the person before God who, who is delighting in the word of God. And it says there he meditates, it, meditates on it day and night. In verse 3, it goes on to say of the characteristics in his life that are built because he's meditating on the word of God day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, evergreen, ever having the the life-giving power that he needs from this water. And he says that this tree, it will bring forth fruit in its season, that its, its leaf, it shall not wither. And whatever he does, he shall prosper. The image of the person that meditates on the word of God day and night in Psalm chapter 1 is that of stability. Think of it. Paul's been, wants this church to be stable, to stand firm in the Lord. And so now he gives them meditate on the word of God. I believe also here in this context, it's connected to verses 6 and 7. We can't divorce it from the previous verses. He's talking there about anxiety. I think, you know, we looked at how the antidote, the cure to anxiety is prayer in everything with thanksgiving. But here, Paul, he continues to give truly more of the cure, more of the antidote to our worries, meditating on what is true. Meditating on the word of God. What brings stability to your life? What cures the anxieties of your life? Knowing more about God. Knowing more of his promises. Knowing more of what he has done and what he has said. Pondering on the gospel truth. Stability in your life. Spurgeon He made this point that both are important. Praying and Bible reading. He said, when asked what is more important... Praying or reading the Bible, I ask, what is more important, breathing in or breathing out? They're both incredibly important. And Paul is telling us in this text that they are the antidote to worry. Paul continues, he says, whatever things are noble. We're going to go through this verse 8 and we're going to look at each one of these things that he tells us to, to set our minds on. He says, whatever things are noble. This word here for noble, it could be translated as honorable or worthy of reverence, worthy of respect, weighty things. He's saying ponder things that have gravity, things that have weight, things that have a deep value before God. If he was to put it in the negative, he would say, don't dwell on the mundane or the trivial. Do not waste your time dwelling on what is foolish. What is worldly, but instead, what is worthy of reverence? What comes to your mind? God, his kingdom, heaven. Remember what he told us in Philippians chapter 3, that we were citizens of heaven. That our mind is to be on heavenly things. That he's calling us here to to dwell on the things of God. Paul, he moves on to say, whatever things are just. You could translate it righteous. Whatever things are righteous, Paul, he's speaking of the right way of life. He's speaking of the commandments of Christ here. 
He's speaking of the law, the law of God. The whatever you ought to do in life. What God would have you do in this world, whatever is righteous in the eyes of God. Paul says, ponder these things. In other words, he's saying, think of the standard of God's word. Think of the the infallible rule. Think of God's perfection through his commandments. So we, we are to be dwelling on the perfect, righteous standard of God. Are you seeing a pattern here this morning? Where do we find what is true? Where do we find what is worthy of reverence? Where do we find what is righteous? The Word of God. Next, the Christian is to dwell on whatever things are pure. Or you could translate it holy. This word, it refers to holiness. It, it refers to moral purity. It, 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 refers to, it refers to a likeness of God in His holy nature. How is God holy? He is, he is otherly. He is unlike us. He is pure in every single way. He is absolutely without spot. He is morally perfect. No sin can be attributed to His name. And so Paul says that we as believers are to dwell on what is holy. What would be the opposite of this? Worldly? Sexual immorality, defilement, what is perverse. So not these things, but on what is holy. Paul, he moves on to say that we are to ponder whatever things are lovely. A word that's only used here in the New Testament. You could translate it pleasing, amiable, agreeable. Albert Barnes said that a Christian should not be sour, crabby, or irritable in his temper. This would be the opposite of what Paul is getting at here. What should we be like? We should search the Scriptures and dwell on what is gracious. John MacArthur, he put it this way. This word can be translated sweet, gracious, generous, or patient. Believers must, be, must focus their thoughts on what the Bible says is pleasing, attractive, and amiable before God. This is the, what Paul is getting at here. The sixth thing that Paul lists is of good report. Or you could say of a good reputation. A good repute. So what is he meaning? Think of what builds a good reputation among men. So how, how would God have you interact with the world around you? How would he have you conduct yourself in society and you should dwell on such things? We hear of the, the Christian minister that he's to be above reproach. Well, how do I get there? Paul says, dwell on what is admirable. Dwell on what is of good report. Think on these things. Here, Paul, he now sums up what he's been speaking of with the last two points. He says, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, 
Meditate on these things. He's saying dwell on what is excellent. Dwell on what is worthy of praise. What is worthy of our praise, God? So dwell on him. His character, his nature, how he showed his great love towards sinners. His justice. Dwell on God. His attributes. Paul is calling the believer to dwell on what is excellent. Dwell on what is worthy of praise. Dwell on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dwell on the mercy of God shown towards you. Dwell on loving God and loving your neighbor. See, Paul's message here, it's both vertical and horizontal. What do I mean by that? Vertical in our relationship to God. Horizontal in our relationship towards other people. Especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. What Paul is calling us here is to think God's thoughts after him. He wants us to dwell on all that is excellent in life. He in turn wants you to ponder on how God would have you interact with the people around you. In other words, Paul would have you apply the word of God to every area of your life. Okay, so this is an all-encompassing thing. There's nothing in your life that should be outside of this. It's to be applied to every area of your life. Every bit of your being. Let it affect every aspect of your mind. This is to be the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word of God is to affect every part of you. Meditate so deeply on the things of God that it would enrich your relationships towards Him, your relationship towards Him, and towards one another. Now think of that. Think of that in the context of this church. A church that needs unity. A church that needs their worries to melt away. A church that needs to cultivate graciousness towards one another. How are they to get here? They are to dwell on God, dwell on His commandments, dwell on what He has said, and then put it into action. Let's look to verse 9. How does Paul start verse 9? He says, the things which you learned. What things is he talking about? Well, it's what he's been speaking of. These excellent things that he just listed, he now brings them up. And what is he going to do? He's going to say, I've modeled these things. I've lived this out. I have taught you this. I've taught this to you, church. He says he, they, they had learned them, they received them, they heard him, and they saw them in him. You have seen or heard all of these things that I have just been talking about, and you've seen them in the Apostle Paul. This is what he is getting at. And he's telling them, yes, dwell on them. Yes, ponder them. Yes, meditate them. Let them penetrate your heart. But he goes on. And he tells them in verse 9, 
He says, do these things. In other words, put what you are dwelling on into action. Actually live out the word of God. Don't just read it. When you read and you find the will of God, then do it. When you see the commandments of Christ, then do it. Put the word of God into action in your life. I'm going to tell you this morning that God, He desires you to grow in holiness. He desires you to be putting sin to death. The very sins that your dear, beloved Savior died for. He wants you to be growing and changing into conformity to the image of Christ. He desires that you change, but hear me, you're not going to change without putting what is listed here in chapter 4 into practice in your life. And what's he been talking about? Prayer, Bible reading, and not only reading, actually doing the Word. All are needed and all must be done. You hear me say it so many times, please, this morning. Heed my words. Read your Bible. Why are not Christians thirsting for the Word of God? You say you know Christ. Do you know Him through His Word? Do you desire to grow closer to Him? Do you love Him? Then read His Word. And not only read it, commune with God. Pray to God. It is the breath of faith. You say you know Him. Well, do you speak to Him? And then all the day long, do you hear the preaching of the Word? Do you hear the reading of the Word? Do you pray the Word and then do nothing? Put the Word of God into action. Do the Word. Keep the commandments of Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we need this. We need to put this into action. We need to, to work on this. Yes, there's no changing without the Spirit of God in your life. Paul made this point in chapter 2, verse 13, right? That it, it's God who works in you. Everything good in your life, everything that you do in your life, anything that is righteous in your life, it's all because of God. He gets all the credit, all the glory for everything. You're not changing without God. But at the same time, verse 12 is true in chapter 2, where he told us to work. He told us to, to get to work. To yes, pray. Yes, read. Yes, dwell. And then do these things. And I promise you, your Bible is not going to open itself and read itself. God's not going to pray for you. You have to resolve in your own heart to put these things into action. God is not going to beam these things into your head. For those who actually take this serious, who will hear this, ponder, and then do, there's a promise from verse 9. There's a promise there. What's it say? It says, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace, I think Paul, he brings that up because he's still speaking about 
Be anxious for nothing. If this is a part of it. This is a part of rooting anxiety out of your life. It's, it's dwelling, it's meditating on the Word of God. That both prayer and the Word of God bring p- peace in a believer's life. But well, what else does he say? He says, the God of peace will be with you. Now hear me this morning. The presence of God is everywhere. There is no place you can go that God is not. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. The presence of the Lord fills all the earth. You cannot escape the presence of God. So what is Paul talking about here? If God is always with you, if he's never left you, what is Paul talking about here when he says that God will be with you? Remember, what's he talking about? Peace in your life. It's the peace that surpasses understanding. Remember, we talked about that last Sunday. This is a supernatural thing. This is something that God gives. What what Paul is saying here is the God of peace will be with you in power. He will work in your hearts and minds. He will grow you. He will change you from the inside out. He will work in your life to both will and to do for his good pleasure. I want to wrap this up this morning with a very specific application. And that is discipline. I say this so often, I give this advice so, so often, if you're struggling in your life, this is, this is the thing you need to cultivate, discipline in your life. A personal discipline. Nothing that we've spoke about this morning will ever happen in your life apart from a personal discipline to do these things. I said earlier, God's not doing this for you. He's not beaming the Bible into your head. It takes discipline. Yes, God changes us. Yes, God is working within you. Yes, if you are a born-again believer, the Lord of glory is working within you. The Spirit of God is changing you from one degree of glory to the next. And as I said earlier, He gets all the credit. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 is in the Bible. And there the message is that the believer is to work out what God worked in. Remember, work out your own salvation, sanctification with fear and much trembling. He calls us to work. He calls us to discipline. And so this morning, you need to resolve to put this sermon into practice. You need to do it today. No more saying, I'm going to read my Bible. No more saying, I'm going to pray. No more saying, I'm going to be a doer of the word. Today is the day that you actually put this in to your life. And you must be disciplined to do it. No one's going to do it for you. You must be disciplined to do it. And it's a command. You know, there, there, there is a command from this text. That, that word meditate, that word dwell, it's, it's in the present tense telling the Christian to always be doing this. 
and in line with Psalm chapter 1, meditating on the Word day and night. God wants your thoughts sanctified by His Word. And it takes discipline to get there. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote this. I defy you to read the life of any saint that has ever adorned the life of the church without seeing at once the greatest characteristic in the life of the saint. That that characteristic was discipline. And invariably, it is the universal characteristic of all the outstanding men and women of God. Read about Henry Martin, about David Brainerd, about Jonathan Edwards, the brothers Wesley, about Whitfield. Read their journals. It does not matter what branch of the church they belong to. They have all disciplined their lives and have insisted upon the need for this. And obviously, it is something that is thoroughly scriptural and absolutely essential for our lives. You will not grow without discipline. A discipline to know God. A discipline to meditate on His Word day and night. to To put away the garbage. Think about how much time we spend putting garbage in. What would God have you do? He would have you put away the garbage. He said to, to dwell what, on what is praiseworthy. I'm going to tell you today, God is worthy. God is worthy for you to discipline yourself to pray, to read your Bible, and to put the Bible into action. He's worthy. Jesus said of the Word of God that it is pearls. Pearls from God. Is there anything more valuable than the very words of God? Jesus said they're pearls. Please take them to your innermost. Know those words. Study it day and night. Meditate on it. And if you do not have any desire for the word of God, I ask you to beg God for this. His people are known for their love for the word of God. When the outside world used to write of the church historic, you know what they called us? People of the book. Would people know in your life that you're a person of the book? How long do you speak to people without without the Bible just flowing out of you? This should be our heart. Today, if this is not you, repent of your apathy towards both prayer and Bible reading and resolve to begin today. And don't just be a hearer of the word, but also a doer of the word.